What's up, everybody? Um, so just from the back, uh, tonight's going to look a little bit different. It's actually going to look a lot different than uh, one, that how I would normally get up here, but two, what we're probably used to, I would say. Um, and so tonight, uh, if you were in small groups last week, um, then you, you talked about baby Jesus and you talked about um, the shepherd. And so I'm just going to uh, go into those scriptures, kind of that they talked about, and I'm just going to kind of set the tone for tonight. Uh, and so I'm going to read out of um, Luke, and then I'm going to read out of Matthew. And then we're just going to get the ball rolling. Um, and then I'm, I'll, I'll share in a little bit. But uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed. Um, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he, came, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting his, this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be a great he will be great and shall and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered him, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, child be born, therefore the child will be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and, in, and, this, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, no, let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. So that's the first one I'm going to read, and then I'm going to read just one more real quick. This is first, um, this is first Matthew 1, um, 18. So pretty much the same thing. Um, just in a, you just see little things that are different. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just a man, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But he has considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that while." For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Joseph woke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so that's just, to, I, I just share that um, just to kind of put into perspective, uh, one, what you talked about in a small group last week, um, but two, kind of just to set, uh, just the tone for the night. Um, there's one saying in there that I really wanted to hit on, but I'm not going to talk about baby Jesus because most of you have been Christians. Most of you have been raised in church. You know the stories. Uh, and so I don't want to talk about um, Jesus and how he come as a baby and people expected the Messiah to come differently, but that's how he comes. And uh, I don't want to talk about the angel really. Uh, but what I do want to talk about is the part in this past verse, how it says, 
are these uh, verses. And he says that she will bear a son, actually you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so that part where it says that he will, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came. Yes, we know Jesus came as a baby. Yes, we know Jesus left as a man that died on a cross for. But he did. What we see in these verses is we see in the verse before in Luke, what I read is that Jesus came um, and he was sent. He comes uh, by the spirit. Mary conceives this baby by a spirit. And then we know that Jesus is going to be born as a baby, right? And then what this scripture tells us is it's clear. It's very clear. It says that you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And so tonight, I just want us to begin to think about certain things. Um, we know Jesus came out as a baby, right? We know what Jesus came to do at the end, which is to die for our, our sins and to, to take on our um, sin and our, the weight of our sin and, and bear that on the cross. And then in the middle of it, what Jesus came, he, he came to do something. And what the scripture says is that he came to forgive the people of their sins, right? Would you all agree with me? That's what the scripture said, yes? Sweet. So what I want us to do for the rest of this time, really, we're gonna, I'm not going to preach. Um, I'm not going to, we're not going to, nobody is going to come up on this stage and preach. Uh, this is not going to be man's word. This is going to be God's word. And so what we're going to do is there's going to be leaders that come up here, and they're going to read a chunk of scripture. And so I'm not talking. This is not my heart. This is not what I believe. This is not, I, I'm sorry, this is what I believe. Um, this is not what I made up. I, didn't, I wasn't inspired to write these scriptures. I wasn't, I wasn't told, I didn't get to see Jesus do these things that we're going to read about, right? And so I just want you to know, this is not me. This isn't, J Jacob's going to come up here first. This is not Jacob. Emily Br Brown is going to come up last, and this is not Emily. Right, Allie's let, he, he, she just led us in the song, and that's not Allie. And so what I want you to do as we, these the scriptures are read, one, remember, these are, these are God's words. These are straight God's word. Right, these aren't mine. These are his. And then two, what I need from you to do, what I need from you is as you read these scriptures, I really need you to lean in and listen. And I just want you to listen. If you could give me 30 minutes, no phone, no bathroom breaks, not, not going to get water. And would you just listen intently to what these scriptures are saying, right? There's going to be three things that I want you to pay attention to. The first is what Jesus does. The second is the thing that Jesus, the, the people that Jesus does it to. And then third, I want you to think about the people that Jesus is going to communicate with. And, why, and ask the questions, not even, not which one are you, but more so, do you understand the three distinctive people? All right. Just, just, and like I said, I need you to lean in, right? I need you to really, really just focus. And as these scriptures are read, just begin to think about, think about Jesus. Think about what Jesus, really think about what Jesus, that, that verse I just read, that he came to, to save the people from his sins. So think about Jesus and what he does for the people. Think about the people that he actually does it to. And then there's going to be a third group of people but I need you to just, just think about what they, how they react to the thing, to Jesus and the people that Jesus is doing this act to.
All right? Cool. Um, so Jacob's going to come up, um, and he's going to read his verses, and then there's going to be people in coming up, and it's just going to be a continuing thing. All right? Sweet. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored, just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish, Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give God, vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of the religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. 
One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus said, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants." Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, You're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. 
The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They are trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. <laughs> they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. I am reading John 9. Uh, Sorry, Jamal's laughing at me. Um, Okay, verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a blind man. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As he said these things, he spit on the ground and made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he is the one. No, others were saying, but he looks like him. They kept saying, he kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went, I washed and received sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. So again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I I washed and I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He is a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one who you say was born blind? Then how then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. The parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why the parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. The one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and, he, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he is from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and he does his will, he listens to them. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard they had thrown the man out, he found him and asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment. In order for those who do not see, will see, and those who do see, will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Hi, uh, I'll be reading off Romans uh, 3.23 and Romans 7.1-6. Okay, I have a question. I'm short. So, who here likes food? Everybody likes food. Uh, who, who here likes singing and dancing? Okay. Okay, bring him back, bring him back. Bring him back, bring him back. Thank you. Uh, who here has done something and they're ashamed of it? Still ashamed of it today. Okay, bring him back. This is serious. Thank you. So the verses that I'm about to read, uh, I want you to just close your eyes and just like really think deep about them and like really take it in. Like be serious. This is serious stuff. Sorry, I'm short. This is serious stuff and take it seriously because when I read this, I was like, wow, that's wow. Okay, I'm going to start. Uh, Romans 3, 23. I'll just close your eyes and take all this in. Uh, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 7, 1 through 6 says, Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an, ad an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, uh, I believe the Lord is talking to us in this one. I mean, he's talking to us in all of them, but like this one, like really listen to this. Uh, when it comes to just those things that you're holding on to and those things that you don't want to let go, uh, he says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions arose by the law, what are working our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from that law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we will serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way, of the written code, meaning that by having Christ, like, we have so much freedom to live in that. And I don't want y'all to live 
like in shame or guilt because like honestly that's the enemy distracting you from what is important and what is important is living in this new way of being free in Christ of course being free and serving him so really like take in those words and like let them resonate with your soul okay thank you I'm in Galatians Galatians 2:15 says we who were Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild this system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For though the law, for, for through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, the life I live, I now live in the body. I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And I'll be in Galatians 4. It says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, I'm going to be reading Ephesians 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, who is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, 
and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Man, there's a lot of stuff in that. There's a lot of um, really cool things. You see Jesus doing some really cool miracles. And you see these group of people that seem to question the Messiah, the thing that they are called to worship, that they're waiting for. And then you see these people that, if we're being honest, they don't deserve to be around Jesus. I think we see that clearly in the scripture. And so what I want you to do next, um, I just want you to continue to sit there. Um, there's going to be a video that plays. Once again, just listen. Um, listen and do nothing else. All right. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches, but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me, acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men, but the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention, how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. 
Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserved. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. I get two things, two things stir up in me when I watch that video. One, I kind of get really, really mad. And two, I get really, 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 really excited and happy. And I'm going to share why I get excited uh, and happy um, and almost to the point um, of just tears. Is because I remember a time when I was so far away from the church and I wanted nothing to do with God. And, and I was the people that we read in this scripture that didn't deserve to be around Jesus. I mean, I, I had done a lot of stuff that he had said. I had done this sinful, shameful things. And then I met a group of people who loved Jesus. They weren't about religion, but they loved Jesus. Man, and they loved me so well. And then 2000, January 2nd of 2013, I had the, the, one of the most special encounters with Jesus that I ever have, have, I've ever had, to the point where that became so true. Jesus died for me. What did he say? When he died on the cross, he was thinking of you. When he, I, I realized like Jesus was thinking of, of, of me on January 2nd, 2013. And so I get super, uh, something wells up inside of me as I think about what Jesus came to do, to, to forgive and to save the people from their sins, because that's what he did for me. Here's why I get frustrated. <laughs> because there's so many times where I forget that. And there's so many times where I, I act like the Pharisees. And, and I'm judgmental. And I don't love people the way that Jesus loves them. I don't do the things that Jesus did. I don't do the thing that Jesus is still doing today. Instead, I separate myself from sinners. I walk in a way that, just like the fairies did, where they, as the Messiah, as Jesus is standing in front of them, they're, they're blind. They can't even see it. And then when he sees them heal somebody, they're, they're questioning everything he does. And they're walking in this way that they think that they, they've known enough knowledge. They, they've, they're the holy people, right? They have it all together. They're perfect. And then that's sometimes how I find, like, that's why I get frustrated because I remind, that's me. And then it, it's just so beyond me. It's so beyond me. I look at our world. I look at the city of Nacogdoches. I think, I look about, I, I, I go to, most of the schools that y'all go to, I've been there. 
I look at that campus across the street, and I think about all the people who are so afraid to step foot in this church because they feel like they're going to be judged. They feel like they're, they're going to be made fun of. All right. they, feel, they don't feel like they're worthy enough. Dirty rags. Like sin is too deep in their lives. That they'll never beat it. And here's the really, really frustrating part. I was, I was joking with Emily before, and I was saying how if I offend you, I apologize. Like if my words, personally, if I say something ever, and if it, it's offensive to you, I apologize. But if God's word, if his words offend you, I, I can't apologize for that. All right. And so there's some of y'all in here, and you just act in religion. All right. you, you hold outside, and on the outside, you, you look perfect. You look like nothing is wrong with you. You don't have a sin in you. You've never done a bad thing. You don't cuss. Right? You don't look at pornography. Maybe you haven't had, you, you, don't, you don't have sex. You don't drink alcohol. You don't party. You don't disobey mom and dad. Right? And so you, you, you got it all together. And that's what you think. Or maybe you really not even think it, but instead you just hide. But you call yourself a Christian. But then quickly, what you do when you hear somebody who struggles with that, I don't want to be about, I don't want to be, I don't want to be close to them. No, that, I wouldn't dare hang out with that person. And those are the people that, and so then there's this, there's this other side of it, right, that some of you, you straight up don't call yourself a Christian. Because you know those are the things that you do. Right. Every single one of them I just numbered. And I'm not sure why you keep coming back here and keep hearing the gospel and hearing how Jesus doesn't like that and there's wrath that is deserved of it. And you keep coming here. And then I see a couple of you who, who just, you, you, you teeter-totter, you go back and forth. And I, I watch you, maybe you go to camp and you, go and you give your life to Christ. And then two months later, you're back at the same thing. My guess is that you are still acting in religion. Right? So you try, to, you try to uphold yourself to the right standard. You do all the right things. Like you put a whole lot of effort in fixing yourself, earning your salvation. And I, today, like the, the scriptures, that, that spoken word, I mean, it spoke for itself to say that we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to, we can call ourselves Christians and not try to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect before I have to come to Jesus. I'm not sure why we keep doing it, but my guess is that it's just been, like, that's what church has looked like. Not now, not just now, but for a long time. But there's something going on in our world, y'all. There's something that's going on in, in America right now. If you look at it, people, most people don't want to be around Christians. Right? They have this idea about 
who Jesus is because the Christians who claim to know Jesus act in a certain way. And so therefore, they see that and they, I don't want anything to do with them. There's so many times, Isaiah says it, um, uh, Jesus says it, Paul says it, that we are called to be the witnesses of Christ. That means that we've seen the things that Jesus has done, and we are called to just share it. And so so many of us claim Christianity. One, we might not, we're probably not even sharing it, but two, we have given people the wrong image of who God is. And it's not okay. It isn't okay anymore. Like every single one of you, whether it's that you've been raised in the church and you have the knowledge and you do the right things, your heart is still evil and you need Jesus. And then there's some of you who've never been raised in the church. You don't know the stories. You don't know all of the, the history behind the Old Testament. But you have heard countless of times that Jesus died for your sins. And you you deserve the penalty. But you don't take it anymore. We don't have to, like, we don't have to keep it all together. Like, there is not a, like, the, the presence of God's spirit is in this room. And we don't have to to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid of being saying, saying, I don't have it together. I mess up all the time. And I need a savior. I need that same Jesus that took a man that was blind and caused him to see. And I, I need the same Jesus that the woman who deserved, I deserved to be stoned. But he didn't stone. He didn't stone me. He said he forgave me. And then he told me to get up and try and sin no more. I need the same Jesus man, that, that literally heals all the time. Both he heals physically, but then he heals spiritually. Like, that's the Jesus I need. Whether I got it, whether I've been raised in the church or haven't, that's the Jesus I need. And so, like I said before I started, like that, we, they read scripture, scripture that was breathed out by God, right? that just says, just flooded, the spirit just, you open a page and I promise you, the spirit just comes out of it. They read it, that's, that's what we're talking about. But God being so loving and rich in mercy, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins and forgiveness, he forgave us. The question is, is there any of you in this room? And if it is, tonight, realize that that is you. But then realize Jesus, what what is your verse, Randy? What did he say? No, I'm sorry. Who who read for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? all not just the perfect and the righteous 
not just the unholy and undeserving, but for all. And so, I'm done tonight. And the spirit is going to move. I fully believe that. And there actually shouldn't be a person sitting down because I know you're either one or you're the other. And you just need to have a conversation with God. And you just need to be real with him. And there's going to be plenty of time for you to do that 